when I was 16. Um, that's when I fell pregnant for the sake, for the first time. I want to abort the baby. And At seven months? Yeah. So what these ladies would do when the doctor goes to church on Fridays, they would then turn it into an abortion clinic. And I remember there was like five girls and I was at the last room. Yo. And I could just hear all the girls screaming. And I'm like, shoo. So I wake up in the morning. It was time for me to feed him. And the child was blue. So do you think it is the abortion that you tried to do that eventually affected him? For me, I felt I was carrying a problem and I want to get rid of the problem. Mm -hmm. That's honestly sure. how I felt. Good day, San Bonani Dumelang, and welcome to your favorite podcast. It's none other than I've been through the most podcast right here on St. Twins TV. Whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on Spotify or Apple Podcast, we welcome and love you. Thank you so much for all the subscribers, the likes, the sharing. Guys, it's not the same without you doing that, okay? And thank you so much once again for helping us reach our goal. We're going bigger and growing bigger oh, yeah. and better from 200k subscribers to 300k subscribers we can do it well we bring another exciting and riveting episode today i can tell you now it's an episode you want to stick and watch from beginning to end Lebrang, welcome to the show thank you very much for having me it's an honor Thanks for being here. I mean, for us, it's not just about um, entertainment or exciting content. Yeah. It's about content that, you know, inspires, that is impactful, and most of all, that is real. Yeah. So, so real. And raw. Real and raw. And you're here today to tell us your story. If you could just please introduce yourself. Tell us, who are yeah. you? <laughs> My name is Labakhan Brenda Mutsumi. I'm an author, inspirational speaker, life coach, and an up-and-coming entrepreneur. Love and it. yeah, that's who I am. Let's get straight into your story. I know your, your story is quite lengthy. It's because you've gone through so much. <laughs> so I don't want us to yeah. waste any more time. So can you take us through your journey where it started? I know you started at the age of 13. But yeah, take us from the beginning. <laughs> well, my story is that of self-inflicted inflicted pain. And obviously pain inflicted by others, right? And one thing about my story is I've taken accountability of my part played for whatever it is or wherever it is I found myself today, you know? And it all starts when I was, I think, 13, right? Um, even though I had gotten molested at the age of six, but these um, images only came later onto my life. And I thought they were nightmares and whatever the case is, right? But at 13, um, I had very low self-esteem, all right? I went to a multiracial school, but I don't come from a very good home, right? In terms of a financial background, mm -hmm. it was a good home, but financially we were not good. My mom was a domestic worker and my dad was a baker, right? And then we were staying in the suburbs, but the back house of the big house. Mm -hmm. So I go to a school where all the kids come from the big houses. So I kind of didn't understand why I what was different, you, different, you know? Mm. And I was not, I guess, the prettiest girl in school because I was big and you always get bullied because of your weight and whatever the case is. So I then lived a life of wanting to fit in. Mm. Right. So I would do anything for me to probably trend in school and um, whatever my friends are doing, I would yes. do. You wanted to be popular. Know? I wanted to be I wanted seen. To be popular. Yeah. I wanted seeking to be seen, seeking mm. validation as well. Mm. You know what I'm saying? 
And then that led me to breaking my virginity at 13. And the sad part about this is the girl who was trending for breaking her virginity was lying about it. Because sure. I had no backbone, I went and I did it for real. Oh, so somebody trended for breaking their virginity. Yeah, it was like, a friend oh, of mine. Oh, so that's how you become exactly. popular. Mm. I'm like, no, I'm going to do this, you know, and mm. I did it. Unfortunately, found out, I think, weeks later that she was actually lying. And mm. I think that's when my rebellious lifestyle started because now we're bunking school, um, we're smoking weed, we send adults to the bottle store to buy whatever, you know. Mm. And and all of this was really made not from a point of this is what I want to do. I just really wanted to feel important. And it's not because my mom didn't make me feel important, because my dad was physically there but emotionally absent, you know. Mm. And then later on my parents got divorced and now there was then the void of the father figure. Even though he was emotionally absent, he was still there. And mm. I was the kid he would take around with every day. And I think that's what led me to making a lot of the decisions that I made. But you know when you go to a new school, you're from Joburg, you're popular, everyone wants a piece of you. That's exactly what I wanted, you know. Mm. And for most of my life, that's what I went around chasing. And I remember while I was in Nelspreit, um, I, vis- I was visiting a friend. And I almost got gang raped by 10 guys because mm. we were coming from a party. This is what, I'm 14, 15? Mm, yeah. I was 15, actually. And we were coming from a 21st birthday party. And these guys had always bothered me during the day. And, you know, I'd tell them where to get off. So on that specific night, I was a target to them, you know. But I wasn't gang raped. Instead, um, they stabbed me on my finger and on my head. But um, the same night, a policeman came to come save me i think he was coming from work and saw the commotion because they were pulling me like there was just commotion and he then shot his gun on the air like a warning yes, um, bullets yeah. um a warning thingy and then obviously the crowd dispersed and everyone ran away he took me to the clinic but now because we had gotten out the window at my friend's house yes. it was kind of difficult for him to knock at 3 a.m and say you know what mm-hmm. i'm saying so it's like no you can Spend a night at my house. He's a the cop, police officer. You know, yeah. And I trusted him. And I was like, Yo. okay, I'll spend the night there and he'll take me there in the morning and explain this what is what happened. happened. Yeah. And he had offered he'll drive me back home because I was mm. visiting another location. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, instead he took advantage, you know, and he ended up sleeping with me. And I think years later when I became an activist, that's when I understood that it was actually rape. At the mm. time, I felt maybe I owe him because he saved he me. He saved you. You know what I'm saying? Hence, I'm saying a lot of my pain was, was self-inflicted. I'm not saying what he did was right. You know what I'm saying? Mm. But I really could have made different choices. Sure. Oh, that is so sad. How old were yeah. you then? 15. 15. I was 15. Sure. I was 15. You'd expect yeah. an entire policeman would know, you know, but, um, exactly what he's did doing. Did he take you exactly. home after that? No, no, no. So the next morning, he just said, oh, you can... You can go. Find your way. And then I went. So my friend's house was not really far from his house. So I walked down and obviously, you know, explained to the parents. They were angry. And then I went back home. And obviously now I'm going back home because they had stabbed me on the head. At the Yo. clinic, they just like kind of remove the hair, the hair and stitch you. So now I'm going back home with a bandage on my head. And um, I've got a scar here around my finger and stuff at the time my grandfather unfortunately had passed away 
So it is just my sister and I and yeah. Staying sure. at the house. Imagine that physical pain that you're going through, Sissy. Now you have to deal with the emotional pain as well because you've just yeah. been raped. Mm -hmm. you, you, you're, you're going stabbed. through, you stabbed and then you were almost gang raped yeah. and you are In so young night. and vulnerable and now you get home, you have to deal with the fact that your parents are like, where were you? you my know? sister. Yes. Your so sister yeah. is my like, sister called my mom back in Joburg. Yes. Like, your child has disappeared. Yo. I'm not laughing, but I'm just thinking, I did yeah. the most craziest sure. things. You know yes. what I'm saying? And you would think that encounter would be like a wake-up call. Yes. Like, you know, get yourself what happened? together. You know what, what happened after that? So, um, I think it was towards the end of the year. Mm -hmm. um, I think I kind of did calm down in terms of the partying and the lifestyle. And then my mom did come and fetch me. But now she fetched me the next school year. Mm -hmm. And now I came back to Joburg to continue school in Joburg. And I remember we go around trying to fill voids with mm. things. And that void never got filled. Yeah. Mm. So, I still have the self-esteem issues and the void and whatever. Now I'm back in Joburg and in my head, it's like I'm back to the competition, mm -hmm. right? And in Nelspreet, there was none of that. I was the You were the girl, girl mm. you know? And so the lifestyle kind of continued when I came back to Johannesburg and it, it, it actually got worse. Did you what end did up you do, girl? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But did you tell your mom that you had been raped or you you no you so didn't look at it as rape? I didn't at look the at time. it as rape okay. until I was an activist. Okay. Because later on in my life I became an activist. Yeah. And obviously when you go through certain trainings, then you understand consent, you know. And I was mm. like, Oh, okay, this this is what happened to me. And actually the first time my family found out was in twenty eighteen when I wrote my book. That's when I opened up about a lot of things Yo. that I had not previously opened okay. up about. Mm. Um, I'm living with five chronic illnesses, right? Um, kidney failure, anemia, hypertension, HIV, and bipolar. So the anemia and hypertension, it's because of the kidney failure. I've um, had termination of pregnancies. Um, one failed one, three successful ones, and then... I then fell pregnant again, but I kept the baby and then I lost my uterus. And it was due to the backstreet abortions that I did. And I think that's why I'm an activist today, you know. I'm obviously not activating for um, young women to have um, terminations, but just to give them information, you know. At the end of the day, it's, it's up to them. As much as I'm Christian now and I have different beliefs, but um, I've got the information. If that's what they need, I'll give them. And it's literally up to them what they're going to do after that because I wouldn't want one to then end up getting a backstreet abortion because I didn't give them information and they could end up losing their uterus, which is, I think it's a scar that you never get over. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Because now I'm older, I know better, I want to start a family. But yes. as much as there's ways to do it and have kids and whatever, but I don't think it's the same. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So, yeah. So, let's go back then. Now that we know everything that you've been through, mm -hmm. take us through that journey. Narrate it for us. You know, when did mm -hmm. you get what, followed by what? You know, okay. how how did you get the HIV? How did you get to the abortions? What happened? Were you raped? Okay. Was it your decision? So, take us through that. Okay, cool. So, I'll start with when I was 16. Um, that's when I fell pregnant for the, for the first time. And it was... Um, easy for me to hide it because mom was staying at work. Not that she didn't want to stay with me. Work required her to stay there because she was out very early and she couldn't travel. And um, so I literally did what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. 
and um, they found out that I was pregnant at seven months and at the time I was going to a private school and private schools don't keep pregnant girls they kick you out so it was a matter of what am I going to do and my family asked and I was like I want to abort the baby at seven months yeah it's seven months. That's risky. Very risky. And it was a horrible, horrible experience. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. And we found a place somewhere. Um, so what these ladies would do when the doctor goes to church on Fridays, they would then turn it into a abortion clinic. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. So they would, so the doctor would go to church and they go for like two hours. I'm not sure. And then during that time, they would get their clients. Ooh, and the, then receptionists. No, no, no. Like the, the ladies who work there. I'm with thinking the they're nurses. The ones that work with the doctor. Okay. You know, usually when you go to a doctor, there's someone who would take your vitals yes. and whatever. I'm not sure if they were nurses. Yes. Though. Mm. Right. So um, we found the place. can't even remember how we, we found it. Myself and my mom. Okay. Mm. So because it was a decision I took, my mom supported me. Yes. It's not mm. that my mom wanted the um, decision. Wanted the decision yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They asked me what I wanted to do. And this mm. is what I said I want to do. And my mom is one who would support me if this mm. is what I want. As much as she's a very strict mom. Yeah. You know, um, but she supported me and she went with me. And I remember there was like five girls and I was at the last room. Yo. And I could just hear all the girls screaming. And I'm like, shoo, oh. what's happening? But in my mind, I was thinking, I want to get rid of this and I want to go back to school. So I, at the time, I blocked whatever that was happening. I wasn't really mm. thinking about it. For me, I felt I was carrying a problem and I want to get rid of the problem. Mm -hmm. That's honestly sure. how I felt. And I'm very honest about my story. I'll mm. never lie. Um, and they got to me. So what they do is they insert something which looks like a UDI to kind of open the uterus. And they tell you, when you start experiencing pains and blood comes out, you go to the hospital, it's going to be like it's a miscarriage. Mm. Right? So we did that, Got went back home. It was very painful. Um, I can take pain, so I don't remember screaming So or they sort of induce a miscarriage. Yeah. So they don't do the whole process. No, they no, sort no. of like start the process. They start the process. And tell you, Guti, when this starts, they just pull out the... the I guess it's an I it looks like a mm, an IUD thing, yeah. but I'm not sure what exactly it is. Um, and then I had pains Friday, Saturday. Now Sunday, my mom, because apparently I was now turning pale, my mom was like, Nope, I'm going back to that place. So on her way there, we stay next to a hospital. Mm. On her way there, she bumps into nurses and she explains that this is what's happening in the house yes. and they're like, Take your child to a hospital, they'll understand and like so anything like yes. that and we went there that abortion was not successful they removed whatever but the uterus now had an opening so it was like now a high risk mm. pregnancy but I decided that I'll keep the pregnancy still went to school but I was hiding mm. I'd wear a jersey and a blazer just to hide the mm. pregnancy because I obviously get kicked out and I think two months later it was in June, I went into labor. So there was at eight months. It was a month later. Apologies. I went into labor. Then I gave birth to a premature son. Um, his name was Komoto. And um, he was discharged from hospital because his lungs were okay. He could breathe on his own. And I was obviously looking after him because Ma would come every evening, but she couldn't sleep there. 
because mm. it was risky, you know, I stay near Hellbrook, it was risky for her to travel back home, okay. I mean, to, to work, work in the morning, mm. like at 5 a.m. So she would come when she knocks off, and then she would she would leave. And for you, school? Um, at the time, I had stopped going to school. So at school, they thought um, I had ulcers or something, I can't remember. They told them that yeah, I'm not feeling well. Birth, yeah. um, nobody knew. You know, um, even my school mates only found out after when I started sharing my story. It was like a secret that I kept. And um, one morning, so I'd wake up and feed the baby. So I don't know if I overslept or what happened. But I wake up in the morning. It was time for me to feed him. And the child was blue. And um, I didn't know what was happening. So I, we have a nurse at the building. I ran to her and I was like, I don't know what's happening. Can you please come? So <laughs> this woman said to me, I'm not going to help you. You know, because um, of the lifestyle, the lifestyle I led, she called me a certain name that I don't want to yes. say on the podcast. You know, and then I called another family friend. Um, she came down and called my sister and the husband. We rushed my son to hospital and unfortunately, we didn't make Thomas it. was dead. Yeah. I'm so sorry about that. Aww. It's okay. Well, look, at the time, it didn't feel like sure. a loss. I was 16. It honestly felt like this is freedom. Um, it only hit years later. Like I'm saying, a lot of the things I went through, only years later, the emotional impact then hit me. And I think that's why I was then diagnosed with bipolar and all the mental health issues. Sure. That is so traumatic. Yeah. So do you think um, it is the abortion that you tried to do that eventually affected him even when he was alive, like his lung problem and everything? I have no or idea. Or you can't tell? Because now know. when we go to the hospital, they said it was a natural death. His lungs were not well developed or something like that. But mm. when they discharged him, they had said, so that's what I'm saying. I honestly, you don't know. Honestly, and honestly and she was also know. so young. Yeah. yeah. 16 so then and I didn't move even forward. look for answers at the time. Yeah. So. Yeah, so you would think that should be a wake-up call. No, it wasn't. Um, but the same year, I met what I thought would be the guy who would make me famous. Because I've always had this obsession with being famous when I was younger. I've always wanted to be on TV, to be a presenter. Um, I used to stay near the UTV studios, so like we would maybe sometimes into be the audience and whatever. So I've always wanted that. So when I met this certain guy, and we'll not say his name, um, but he's deceased now, and his family has given me the right to tell the story because before I started talking about it, I did go consult with the family. So mm-hmm. it's okay that I talk about the story. Okay. Um, so I met this guy. He was a Guaido star, and I thought, "Ooh, this is my ticket to." To being Pain. famous, you know, and that relationship honestly had nothing to do with love. It was just really what I could get from him, and I guess he also had his own motives, because um, I think months before he passed on, he did go on live TV and say that he went around infecting girls with HIV, and unfortunately, I was one of those girls who got infected with the virus. And this is mm-hmm. when you're still 16, because it's the I'm, same I'm year. I'm now 17. I'm now. So I met him to when I was 16 okay um so yeah I don't I, don't, I just don't know when the infection happened because we dated 16 17 and I think he passed away when I was 18 so obviously I wouldn't know when exactly I got infected mm-hmm. but I know he infected me because 
after getting giving birth to my son Homoto, I was tested for HIV. It came out negative, and he's literally the next guy that I dated after Homoto's father and okay. all of that. So um, then this guy infected me with HIV, but now I didn't find out immediately because I've always thought HIV has a face, and I just couldn't mm-hmm. fit myself in, like you know. Um, I think when we were taught about HIV in school, it was kind of for them, people who come from the rural areas, somewhat uneducated, who look a certain way, who speak a certain way. And when he told me, I looked at his background, like it kind of makes sense because he, you know, comes from um, a township and whatever. So I was in denial, you know, even though because before he went to the press, he did call me and tell me this is the story, you know. And he apologized. But I was like, Ugh, it makes sense. And I, he had lost weight. He was looking, inverted commas, sick. Like, it. what do you mean, like, it makes sense? It made sense that he would be sick. So you were not worried that he infected you. Were you no, not I upset? Not. I was upset. But then again, I felt I was superior to the virus. You sure. know, I think for me, because of the background, I grew up in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Um... I, you still didn't feel like this is me. Like even when he told you I infected I you. I didn't. Hence I was like, it makes sense because you're an artist. You travel. Um, you stay where you stay. So I don't know if it was a, a defense for yes. myself, mm-hmm. right? But I was in denial. And hence I'm saying, um, I just didn't connect it to Yo, me. Like, you know what not I'm saying? Me, not this girl. You know, I did not connect it to me whatsoever. And um I was like, oh, okay. But at the back of my mind, you know, your conscience will always be like, you know, something is not right. Mm. As much as I didn't fall ill immediately. And I think that's why I share my story so much because people think you would have to show certain symptoms to to be living with HIV, you know. Mm -hmm. And you could show the symptoms and it's too late to even save your life. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I'd always say if you are having... um, sexual intercourse test for HIV you know what I'm saying because even if you're married these things happen it doesn't have to be yeah. one that is having risky sexual behavior or has multiple partners you know it's anybody who is sexually um, having um, anyone who's sexually active, active so right. I'm guessing yeah. because you were so in denial you didn't go and get treatment no I didn't go get tested so that was a he told me when I was 18 yeah. I didn't get tested I continued with my life and the thing is as much as mm. I was living a fast life. I was one who would use a condom, but with him, I wanted to fall pregnant for him because I thought that would make me more famous. And I just always imagined this headline in the newspaper. That you're pregnant pregnant, by so-and-so this famous Mm. guy. Um, And it's still that void that I was, Mm. you know, chasing. Mm. Um, And yeah, unfortunately, he then left me with the HIV, but I only found out when I was 20 right so you i did fall tested. pregnant for him okay um but when i told him he he rejected it and you know the weirdest thing is his wife would call me and tell me to leave him alone but i felt she was trying to protect me she wasn't doing from it from him. a point of leave my leave husband my alone uh-uh. yeah. it was a point of I feel this young man this. you know what i'm saying this man is is, is living with hiv you know because she would mm. constantly call and say you know leave and you know there's that thing that whatever you know i'm not going to mm. listen to you you know i want whatever it is that you're getting 
right? And 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 in this case, it wasn't even financial. It was just because I go to the stadiums with him. I go to the music videos with him. You know, it was just one of that. And because he would pick me up at school with the production company, and I would then get the popularity. You know, levels dating so and so. It felt like important and famous yeah, and she's just like finally this is this is what i've always sure. wanted yeah and unfortunately you fall, you fall pregnant and then mm-hmm. and how pregnant. did you find out you're pregnant um i stopped my periods you know um, you're still not on treatment i'm still, still not on treatment tested. so after homozo i did go for contraceptive contraceptives but we all know how some healthcare workers treat younger people you know, you would get lectures, whatever the case is. And I felt, I don't want to go through all of that. You know, so I'm just going to stop going. There was also the weight gain because there wasn't much info around taking depot, whatever the case is. So I was like, no, I'm not going to do this, you know. Hence then, um, falling pregnant. for. And um, when I told him, he was like, nope, it's not my child. Obviously, the first thing I thought about was termination. But this time around... I did it by myself. My family didn't know about it. So you've got access to information when you look at newspapers, when you walk around in town. Numbers are there, so you call. Obviously, try to find the cheapest one. I'm a student. I didn't have money, so I had to find the one that I would be able to afford. And I then terminated that pregnancy as well. And um, he then passed away. Um, And then I met my other partner, and fell pregnant with him twice and he also didn't want the babies because back home where he comes from they were preparing a wife for him or whatever the case did he know your status at the time at the time i didn't know my status so i was Mm. just living my life i just continued right at the time i had not tested I tested when I was 20 and for me to test so but he told you I've infected you but it, you just I like didn't. whatever I did not test I was like I probably thought I would have to lose weight first lose my mm. hair so you thought he's sick even though you guys were together and had sexual relations you still felt I'm not infected I'm just healthy. because he has it doesn't mean I have it exactly hence oh, I'm okay. saying I felt superior to the virus okay right because mm. I thought it could not touch me um I don't fit what I could call a category of mm. someone living with HIV sure you know oh. okay Here's this new man in your life you fall pregnant twice with mm. him so he would just give me money to terminate and drop me Yo. off at the clinics and pick me up when I'm done. The pain and trauma and of the termination does nothing to you at this point? Hence I'm saying the pain and the trauma I only dealt with years later. later when I was so older. She was like, just a quick fix. At the time for me, it was... Like, quick fix, let's yeah. get it over and done. Tomorrow I'm not pregnant again. So at the time for me, it was a prevention method that I used, I guess. Mm, you know? Because mm. I think once you do something, you get so inclined and so used to it that you don't feel anything. And I think that's what it was with me and the termination of pregnancies. The, the new relationship, um, it was two abortions. Um, continued my life and I would also drop out of school. So my mom like gave me the last chance in 2019 to do my matric. If I don't get it, then she's kind of done with me. So that year, I kind of pulled myself together and I was mm. serious about school but a lifestyle is a lifestyle and if you're not serious to change it it will always follow you and I then found myself pregnant again 
But mm. before finding out that I was pregnant again, um, there were rumors where I was saying that I could possibly be living with HIV because I dated the certain person who passed away from mm. the virus. So my baby daddy was like, nope, we're going to get tested. So I did it to prove a point. Dude, I, you can see I, I'm not sick. You know, mm. I, I'm fat. I'm, you know, I'm, and we went to get tested. And unfortunately, my results came out positive and his came out negative. But he yeah. supported me. He didn't leave me. And we then found out a month later that we were pregnant. And obviously, the first thing that popped into my mind was termination. And I was in matric writing my prelims. And he was like, no, please keep the baby. I want the baby. And that is now my daughter, Mika, who's 13 this year. Oh. And <laughs> she's a blessing mm. because I think she's also a reason of me turning my life around, even though it was an immediate change. It was like gradual over the years. Mm. But yeah, her other name is Chokofajo, which is blessing, blessing, you know. And after giving birth to her, I lost my uterus, which was obviously connected to the back um, door abortions and yeah so, so but God said at least you you, you know what you're gonna have one healthy yeah. baby imagine if you lost your uterus before and, and, and you she's don't have a she was still so young and she still wanted to terminate so so did wow. you have a cesarean section it was no, it no, a no. decision that was made after you gave birth how did the you lose the extracting uterus. of the uterus come about it was normal delivery mm -hmm. then my placenta was stuck so then they take you to theater to try and scrape it out so mm -hmm. that they don't hurt your uterus. But unfortunately, during the whole process, I was bleeding a lot and the machine switched off. So it was what we call a life-saving hysterectomy. So they were saving my life. So they had to remove the uterus, sew me up, wake me up and save my life and make sure that I'm here today. I think you were, you were very blessed. Um, I am. You're very blessed with your daughter, um, with with them being able to save your life there. Yeah. And also with your partner at the time not to have gotten HIV, although you were sexually yes. active at the time, which is why you felt pregnant, yeah. that he was negative. So I think yeah. a lot of good things started to happen for you. Was it an eye-opener to change your life? That was an eye-opener. And like I said, I did gather myself, mm. passed my matric with two distinctions because yes, I worked very girl. hard. That smart. year was good for you, girl. <laughs> well done. It wasn't such a good year. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and um, the next year I stayed home to look after my daughter. Obviously, relationships end. You know, that relationship mm. came to an end. But my baby daddy, before passing on, was very supportive to his daughter. And... Um, so he passed away because a lot of people think maybe it's HIV. He had a motorbike accident years mm. later. Oh, oh and, so um, sorry about that. It's okay. Um, yeah, so life continued. Now I start working. But you remember, I think one thing I like emphasizing about my story, that void was never filled. Mm. Right? You still So I'm still chasing that. it. Now I'm in the workplace. Still and crowd chasing. I'm still crowd chasing. You know, now it's dating older men drive cars, um, partying, going to different clubs, buying tables for the girls, whatever the case is now that it was that lifestyle. And now I could kind of fund it because now I'm working. Mm. And um, I did have like older guys who were rich, you know, that I dated. But I think my life took a turn around in 2011 when I was on my deathbed. So what happened was um, I stopped taking treatment and um, 
I think this I would love to mention, right? I'm not saying God doesn't heal. But there are pastors out there in churches who take advantage of people that are sick, mm. right? And um, because I was still in denial after finding out about my status, I took treatment because I'm told to take it and I must save this baby. I don't want my child to get sick. Mm. I didn't take it from a perspective of understanding why I'm taking it, why it's important and so forth and so on. Hence, I ended up defaulting. But Nakona, I defaulted because I was told that I'm healed when I started going to the certain church. Mm. And I was told if you act a certain way, um, dress a certain way, fast, whatever the case is. Look, I grew up in Christian background, but it was never about having a relationship with It was just protocol going to church. Mm. So I did all of that, told that I'm healed, believed it, and told that the treatment actually makes you sick. So stop taking it. And I believed it, you know. At the end of the day, it's a pastor. And um, stopped my treatment. Didn't go get tested though to confirm. And then unfortunately, a couple months later, I was on my deathbed. Now, I think that's when I looked at myself in the mirror because I had lost all the weight. You could probably fit a couple of coins, you know, here. And I looked, I was sick. I was in a wheelchair. I couldn't eat. Um, it was just really my deathbed. And I think that's when... I accepted my HIV status. And part of sharing my story is it doesn't have to go that far. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It took me to my deathbed to say, oh, okay, no, I'm, I'm HIV positive. But that was a big turnaround for me. Um, as much as, like I'm saying, I gradually changed over time. But that's when I started learning to love and accept myself for who I am. Yes. And I then later decided to start sharing my story Um it was by coincidence, though it's not like I planned to be an activist or a speaker. Mm. We were asked to go share our stories to young kids, but you no, know, we were asked to go teach about HIV. But mm. I was like to my doctor, I kind of like feel like it, defe it defeats the purpose to teach about something I'm living with and not sharing my story. I didn't know how that was going to pan out, but I remember the first time sharing my story, I was in tears. It was just, you know, but now the response I got from the little kids, mm. um, my aunt, you know, hides her mm. pills and whatever I felt I need to continue and opportunities just kept on coming until I told my story on a certain channel yes. for the first time and the response I got on Facebook that's what led me to doing this now for a living and then being an activist fighting for young people's rights in terms of policy and a lot of other things that I've done through the years and the four Wonderful. other chronic illnesses when did that happen so I was um, infected with a kidney disease in 2018, mm -hmm. which then gradually became kidney failure. Hence, I'm now on dialysis. So is that why you've got the... Yes, the what we call this a fistula. So this is an okay. access to get your dialysis treatment. Mm. Yeah. And also she mentioned off air that you have to go to hospital three times a week. Yeah, so Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, I'm in hospital for four hours. And four hours a day? Yeah. So that's 12 hours in a week? Yeah. That's oh. the rest of your life. Well, until I get a until I get a kidney. So I can get a donor. A matching donor. A matching mm. donor. Yeah. Until then this is your life. This is my life and I've accepted it, you know, yeah. but I also thank God for his grace because I think if it wasn't for him, I probably would have killed myself a long time ago, mm. you know, because I have been through the most. Yes. But I also understand that it was for a reason, you know, because I carry so many people with me. And as much as I've got my own hardships, I'm able to talk to a lot of people, coach a lot of people to accept mm -hmm. their statuses, 
whether it be a due suicidal because at some point I tried killing myself. So I feel like everything I went through, I'm able to now assist the next person. Yes. And hence I'm saying it happened for a reason. It, it yes. just didn't happen. How's your mom now? My mom is my mom is good. My mom is supportive. She's my number one fan. I think on the days where I feel like I don't want to do this anymore because mm. it does get hectic. Mm. I get hectic stories in my inbox. I sometimes feel I've been through a lot until I read other people's yes. stories, you know. And sometimes it, it becomes too much for me. And because also in 2020 with the kidney failure, I lost everything in my life. I lost um, my job, the place where I was staying, and I literally had to go back and rebuild my life, you know. And there were times when I was like, you know, I don't need to do this. Let me just find a job, go back into corporate because I do have experience in corporate. Um, as much as I haven't gone for tertiary um, education, I'm only starting my degree next year. I, I do have experience to go back and work. I don't really have to do with this. But your calling is your calling. You can't run away from True, it, you know. Yeah. But my mom is one person who would say, this is what you were born for and you can't stop it. My mom okay. is very supportive. Sure. Then you accepted Christ, you know, as we close. Yes. You accepted Christ. Your life has completely changed. I know you're very transparent with everything that you've gone through. Yeah. But you know there is light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. She is born again. Very born again. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she's, she's again. a new creation. You know, God did something in her life. And, and I think that's yeah. really exciting. And I love that you're not ashamed of what you 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 went through. Oh yeah, you know yeah. you talk about it. You're so open about brave. it because so many people go through that, but they hide it and yeah. they don't want um, obviously those scars to show on the outside. People are dying in silence because as a community, we are very judgmental mm. um, because of what people go through and the decisions that they make and what they find themselves in. Mm -hmm. Right. And one thing about me is. I've got a very thick skin now. I get called names, but they don't change who I am. Yes. You know what I'm saying? As long as I get a message that says, Lebo, thank you, you saved my life, yes. I'm good. Those who are going to call me names and look at me somehow. And the fact that I take accountability of the part I played yes. in my story. That's, you know, that's huge. And I have yeah. learned to forgive myself and kind of accept that I made good. those choices. But I live every day to make the wrongs that I made right. Mm -hmm. And that Good. is through by serving and helping other people. And that's why we need to get the book, honey. Yes, <laughs> and you wrote a you book. Can we see it. the book? Yeah. Tell us about the book. Where can people get it? Where can so, people get a hold of you, your social? I wrote a book. Advertise, Akel. <laughs> Advertise. <laughs> I wrote a book, and it's actually a series, right? Mm. So this one is called I'm Still Here from My Deathbed to the World. Oh. Um, the second one is going to be I'm Still Here Living Life on a Machine. And the third mm -hmm. one, I'm still here, saved by his grace. Amen. So I've got two manuscripts that I'm working on at the moment. Yeah. Um, God will lead which one I take Amen. out first. Yeah. But I feel I still need to push this one because when I got the kidney thing, I stopped doing everything. Mm. So my socials, it's at Mutsumilebo for TikTok, Instagram, um, Twitter. And for Facebook, it's Lebohang Brenda Mutsumi. And yeah, you can just pop me an inbox. I do... Um, do counseling for free. I don't charge, but for talks and MCs, MCing facilitation and other things, I do charge because mm -hmm. that's how I make a living. Mm -hmm. But for counseling, I, I don't charge. And how do people buy your book? So they buy it from me. You'll inbox me. I am trying to get it into stores. You know the struggle yes. <laughs> getting yes. books into stores, but I am trying because I want to relaunch it because I feel I didn't do justice on the book. So I'm still going to push it and try to get it into stores and launch myself as an author. 
Mm, and it's a brand, honey. Come Amazing. on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to thank you for coming to I've Been Through the Most because truly you have been through the most, but you have managed to conquer, strive, uh, be yeah. very successful. Success to me is is really that, is yeah. being able to be above everything that you have gone through and being selfless enough to share your story and make sure that you impact others so that their lives can be transformed, changed through your life. So you're most living definitely. a life of purpose. So yeah. big ups to you and power to you. Thank yeah. you so much for having yeah. me. And Thank has you. the void been? It filled? has. No, the voice has been filled. Ah, no. <laughs> the voice has definitely hey, been filled. I, you, eh, it kept you busy. I man. don't <laughs> seek for approval from anybody. Look, I know I'm beautiful. I know I'm important. Yes. And I know I was created for a oh purpose. Oh my gosh. Because so, I've been looking at you yeah. like the entire episode. I'm like, this girl is fabulous. Like her beauty <laughs> is on so another much. level. You are yeah. just drop dead gorgeous. Thank Aww. you so much. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening to the story from beginning to end. Please do uh, go and support her, follow her, and definitely do buy her book and make sure that mm. she strives in, in this beautiful journey that she's in. We wish you all the best. Thank you we so much. We wish you all the best. Thank you Please so share much. your testimony. We cannot wait for the second series and the third series. We'll definitely buy this one. Um, and uh, if you have an interesting story to tell, you know what to do. We'll leave all the details at the bottom of the screen. And if you're listening, it is sentwins at gmail.com. Thank you so much for watching and listening for myself, Melissa Mashile. And myself, Innocent. And of course, Level, our fabulous guest. Yay! It's my <laughs>